You're listening to Shaping Narratives, a collection of voices from West Michigan's communities of color. Brought to you by WGVU, NPR, and PBS in West Michigan, and in partnership with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. The voice of this podcast is George Walker III, host of WGVU's Cultural Ingredients, a TV show that explores stories of migration, culture, and agricultural history, one person, one dish, and one ingredient at a time. He's a sommelier and a small business owner, and for this podcast, he talks to chefs about simple cooking and kitchen management during the pandemic. Hey, Quint and Ben, how are you guys? Hey, how are you? Good, good. I want to thank you all so much for doing this. Um, this is awesome. Uh, let's let's just get right into it. Um, so, how did you all find the culinary world? Um, I grew up in it. My mom is a, a, a Vietnamese chef, and so I, I just, like, would wake up, and she'd already be in the kitchen cooking, um, and eventually she had me help out in her kitchen. She, she does, like, Vietnamese catering. That's what it was. And um, uh, on the weekends, we would watch uh, cooking shows together, like, with Julia Child and Jacques Le Pen. So they inspired um, us more into like a different cuisine other than uh, Vietnamese cuisine, and um, yeah, I would help her out with shopping and labeling all her orders and you know shredding carrots or whatever. So I, I kind of just grew in in it. Oh wow! And yeah. you, you had it from like an early age. What yeah, about you? yeah. Um, I, so I grew up like just helping cook meals with my family, like my mom and dad would. We'd always have all of our meals together, family. Um, you know, nothing special, but it was just a good, like, good family time that we spent together. And um, so it was always a hobby of mine. I did it in high school and college. Like, I'd cook for my friends, and I'd cook meals for the family, but it was never really serious. And then kind of just a random turn of events, I just needed a job, and I fell into a a job as a cook and I was like oh man I really love this so I just went like full on into it from there yeah. oh wow I, yeah I hear that I guess, um, for me it was uh, when high school ended I asked my I told my parents I want to be a veterinarian and they were like absolutely not we're not going to support you in that um, because to them that profession was only useful in uh, well-developed countries and they didn't come from that they um, moved here from Vietnam after the Vietnam War and um, so they were like you need to go to school for something Um, oh no then I told them I wanted to be a cook and they're like well you don't need to do that right away you can always come back to it um, but we want you to get your college education first so I went and got my degree from a university. And after that, I was like, all right, I did it. I have my degree um, in some other subject, and I'm ready to come back into cooking. Um, and the whole time I was in college, I was uh, in restaurants still to kind of make things neat. Like um, I was a server and a bartender. And then eventually, uh, when I was done with school, I was still interested in being a cook. So I asked one of the places I was working at to if I could 
uh, work in their kitchen, and that's where my professional career starts. Oh wow, that's amazing! So I mean, to get to kind of hit more on um, your parents coming from Vietnam to the U.S., what was it mm-hmm. like um, growing up as a first-generation American? Uh, pretty. It was frustrating as a kid. Um, I, the, although my hometown is San Jose, um, in California, and though there is a, in California, Asians are not the minority group. They're they're now part of the majority. Um, the neighborhood that I was in was um, mainly Mexican, like Hispanic, Caucasian. Um, so when I brought my breakfast or my lunch and all that, it was like um, very strong aromas and, you know, everyone had a ham and mayonnaise sandwich and I had like <laughs> roasted Cornish hens, you know, like, and they had fish sauce and, and it was just, I, as a kid, um, I hated it. Like, I was just like, I'm not like my fellow, you know, my friends. Um, and we, I, they put me into Vietnamese school um, on every Sunday, which I did not do well in. I was just like, just pro-American. I want to be, you know, just like all my other friends, and I don't want to be Vietnamese. And my my family was so Vietnamese. Like my my dad is like a, uh, he, I don't know how to explain. It. He he like runs, uh, or he did run a coalition for um, North California for um, nationalist Vietnamese people. So, oh, awesome. yeah, it, it, it's awesome now. I appreciate it now. But when I was a kid, I just I just wanted to be far away from it. Um, and I didn't um, appreciate my culture until college, I think. And luckily, while I was um, still very young, they they forced me to eat Vietnamese food. I can only eat my mom's cooking, you know, so I would always eat Vietnamese food. Um, and eventually, like, in my teenage years, it, it became, like, my favorite cuisine to have, and it's just kind of stuck ever since then. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I can so I can only imagine that that influence only had an uh, even bigger influence on uh, why you all cook so many, uh, so much um, kind of Southeast Asian cuisine, right? Yeah, yeah. When I moved to Michigan, um, the Vietnamese was, city. Which I'm sure was like a, a entirely like culture shock coming from California, uh, being around like your family, and then coming to yeah. Michigan. Really, I mean, quite frankly, white Ross uh, for the majority in West Michigan in particular. So what, so what was that kind of like, uh, like adjusting to West Michigan and uh, meat and potato type of uh, dishes that we usually have here? And then, yeah. That. I I didn't mind it. I didn't even notice it at first. I left California to focus on my career because I had too many, way too many distractions in California. Um, when I came here, the first thing, so when I came here, I was just, in the kitchen, I just didn't really see anybody except for who I worked with, um, and I worked for my family and saw the time. So besides my two my two cousins and like the two other people that are the staff in Sabatuk, um, I didn't see anybody. I didn't 
really get to talk to anybody. The hours were, you know, they took up most of my time. Um, when I moved to Grand Rapids and was um, mobile, um, the first thing I noticed was the lack of diversity. It, it didn't, it didn't like dawn on me that the lack, there was lack of Asians. It was very specifically like anybody else. So um, I didn't mind it at first because um, uh, when I was young uh, in high school and middle school, the majority of the of the community was Hispanic Asian. So I didn't notice it too much until I started craving my own food. Um, and then I noticed, like, I don't have anywhere to go get this. And uh, so then I started focusing on making Vietnamese food for myself at home. Um, back in San Jose, you don't have to cook anything. You don't have to cook far. You don't have to make money. Me. There are, you know, hundreds of places that make Vietnamese food. You just pick the one that you like the most. And here I have two places I can think of that I, you know, go for or Vietnamese food. So I, it, it, it ended up making me a better Vietnamese cook because I had to, I had the taste in my mouth that I was craving and couldn't really get it. So it forced me to look into how to make it, remember what my, my mom used to do, um, like just really dig back into that memory bank. Wow, that's that's brilliant. So I can only imagine it was that how. Let's just talk about stock and candor real quick and how dope uh, you all's uh, business is. Like, can we just talk about like how did that even start? I mean, you all have like this startup that's um, and and this business that's doing amazing, amazing dope stuff. Like these underground pop up dinners are super, super dope. So, yeah, how did that even come about? Um, do you want to? Yeah. Consider? So we kind of started out, um, you know, when Quinn and I were, were dating, we would, or really even before, we would just cook, like, all the time. Like, on our days off, before we started dating, we would still, like, cook for our friends and just have a bunch of people over and, like, just hang out you know, have some drinks and just make some food that we were craving. And that was always a really good outlet for us, just as something communal and as something kind of creative. I out dishes on people we knew would definitely be accepting of the food. And meanwhile, while that was happening, professionally, we were kind of meeting a lot of roadblocks in terms of, like, we wanted to put out food that was a little bit different than the restaurant had in mind and we kind of just met a lot of friends and kind of like stifling the creativity that we had right and so then the idea of like you know turning these dinners into something else was kind of like where stock and candor kind of like became focused on yeah we were we were pretty um frustrated with what was going on at our job and we, we, it felt like there's, there wasn't any demand for the type of food that we wanted to cook, um, except for our close friends. And eventually, our close friends would be like, no, I have friends who would like to eat this too. Like, there are plenty of people who eat the food. Um, so we were like, well, where are these people? You know, like, what, what, <laughs> who are they? And we were running restaurants. 
And um, so we were like, you know, well, it, the, the, this kind of community, like the adventurous eaters, like the true foodies, they must be, it must be not that many of them. Like the, the community must be fairly small. So let's not think about what we're going to do in our restaurants. Let's think about if we want to, if we want to do a dinner for like 15 people or for 30 people, uh, what would we want to do and how would we put ourselves out there? So we really wanted to go to the super underground, like you got to know somebody in order to get to us kind of thing. Right. Um, I, I remember when I first got my text, like, yeah. and I was like, yo, this is so dope. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm, Really happy to hear when people say that because for such a long time we were like um, really uh, disappointed, you know, like oh, like we're just gonna cook for the select few, like very few people, and that's it. And um, to hear like no, there are people who want your food, and I was like oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Oh yeah, that there's there's no question about that there at all. I mean, I guess, can you walk us through uh, what a stock and can at dinner is like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we have several different styles because we understand not everyone can can do like $150 a person or whatever. So we have a couple of dinners where people are looking for a fine dining experience. Um, we will arrive at their homes. And well, before we'll, we'll we'll arrive and we'll talk through a menu and see if that's what they're looking for. If they're celebrating anything, we'll learn about the, our our guests and try to um, uh, form the menu to be specialized to towards them. Um, and that, but it it's a menu of dishes that Ben and I really want to cook. It's not they don't really have a say in what we make. Um, we'll hear out like, oh, I can't eat eggs or something like that. If, if there's not too many restrictions or allergies, then we'll we'll make the the modifications. Um, and then we have uh, it used to be like I would do all the wine and Ben would do a bunch of the cocktails. And now we have somewhat of a team going on. We have a bartender and we have like you know, a server and stuff like that. So it, it goes a lot more smoothly. Um, uh, with those dinners, if you have a bartender and all them, then th the bartender comes up with um, cocktails or wine that will pair well with our food. Um, and, it's yeah, it's just a, your own personalized fine dining experience. And that's at a certain price point. Um, then we also have, like, things where we really, just like any restaurant, you know, when you're, like, out of your friend's reach of, you know, actually being able to eat your food, we have um, more casual um, events as well. Like our friends all cook, you know, so they can't afford $100 a meal. Or, right. You know, they, they just, they shouldn't, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so we'll do, like, um, outdoor events or something like that um, where it's like yep. a Korean barbecue. The outdoor that I, I remember the outdoor series that you all had, or uh, the pop up that you all did at yeah. uh, uh, what was that restaurant? Um, I can't even uh, think of it right now. The, uh, the pop up that you all did over on the west side, uh, where yeah. it was out for street food. Oh my goodness, yeah. that was amazing! 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a collaboration with uh, Sovengard. That was the yeah, name of the rest. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Ben, um, ben used to work there in the morning, so he he's uh, really close with here. He was close to the former chef there, Patrick Conrad, and um, uh, the owner, Rick, uh, Rick um, had this great idea of, like, let's bring in um, you guys to do... Uh, Asian food because they had a series already going. Um, Sylvan Guard had like a, like I think their theme was just street food, but every month was a different um, a different country. So for the Asian one, um, because they knew Ben was already part of this whole stock and candor thing, they're like, "Do you guys want to do it?" And we're like, "Hell yeah, we want to do this!" Like, right? <laughs> we're trying to get our food out to as many people as possible, and you guys are perfect for that. And I'm almost positive that that was their busiest one that they ended up having because when I went, oh. it was a mad line. And, oh, my it goodness, was it was crazy. Yeah, we were not expecting that. Uh, we had gone to um, their previous ones and thought we had it all figured out. And when I think around uh, uh, doors were supposed to open at 11 or something, and at 10 o'clock, we heard how long the line was. We can't see the line from the kitchen. Right. Um, and, be, and, and be mindful, like, for the listeners, this is, like, 11 p.m. So, like, it starts yeah. at 11 p.m., and everyone's just kind of, like, outside, outdoors, um, at this uh, at this beer garden at Southern Guard, which is in Grand Rapids. Yeah. And uh, essentially, they have a DJ that's playing and some really dope food. Yeah. Um, so... We the uh, the food that we put out for that menu were some dishes that we really really wanted um, the community of Grand Rapids to be exposed to. Like they were fairly uncommon dishes, and um, but they were also dishes that we felt we could dish out quickly, um, and and we just couldn't keep up. It was just craziness. I we had like like adrenaline and anxiety for like two hours straight. I just, it was just like, go, 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 go. And yeah, yeah. Pretty wild. That one was a crazy, crazy event. We need I mean, to go right to that one. Short ribs on that menu. You had the bon mi. What, what else did you guys have on that menu? You had some other stuff too that was just crazy. Yeah, there was a Korean savory pancake called Tajong. It was like yeah. a green onion. And you dip it with a like a tangy soy sauce, and then we did a a crispy crispy egg noodle dish with stir fry on top. In Vietnamese, it's called miso yang. So you said it what one more time? Uh, so my English interpretation of it is crispy egg noodles with stir fry, uh, stir fry meats and oh, vegetables. The Vietnamese name for it. The Vietnamese name for it is Mi Sao Yong. Ah, Mi Sao Yong. Yeah, that okay, was... I can see the, the uh, <laughs> spelling for it. <laughs> right, so, uh, so I, one more question. If yeah. you all were to cook, um, if we, if you all could just have like a, like a quick and easy dish that our listeners can make at home, what do you, what, yeah. what would uh, so we were kind of back and forth on a, a bunch of things, and one that came to mind was kalbi, which is Korean short ribs, super popular. 
just with it getting kind of nice out in springtime, it feels like a great time to barbecue. And Calbee is like a relatively easy thing to put together. Um, yeah, like, do, you you want the, do you want the recipe like verbatim, like how much of each thing? Well, um, well, you don't have to do how much. Just give us like a kind of like a, a rough, uh, rough walkthrough of how to how to do it. Oh, okay. 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 So you're gonna start with making a marinade, which is onion, peeled apple, peeled pear, a bunch of garlic cloves, um, soy sauce, sugar, some water, sesame oil, black pepper. And you just blend it all together, and then you let it sit a day. It's kind of even better. And then after that sits a day, you put in some bone-in short ribs that are L.A. style or flanken style, which is cut against the bone, but a little bit thinner than a like an English style short rib. So it's really that iconic like look of like you see the cross section of the bone. Um, of usually three or four bones, and then there's like a thin layer of short rib meat on it. And because of the way it's cut and the the amount of sugar in the marinade, it really tenderizes the meat really, really well, um, so that it's super tender and just really delicious, juicy. You just slap it on a grill, and it's pretty much good to go. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the short rib we did at um at the street food event that you went to. Oh my gosh, those were so good. That sounds so good right now. I'm this is making me <laughs> so hungry, and I can't wait to make this dish. I'm so excited. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Yeah, I can send you. I have an exact recipe if you want. We can. Send oh it yeah. Over. Yes, please, please, please send that because I yes, we definitely need that. <laughs> But uh, I do want to thank you guys so much for coming on and being a part of this episode. I really appreciate it. I, I love, absolutely love the work that you all have been doing. Um, I've been following you guys for a minute now, um, especially you, Quinn. Uh, you're over at Maru. Um, and it's it's been awesome to see how not only, one, you all's relationship has developed and grown and flourished, but also you all's business and how your love and your passion for food um, has shown immensely uh, through throughout the city. Um, I respect you all so, so much. Um, and I can't wait. To, I, I, one, I can't wait to get the bond mees that you guys are doing uh, and give it out this week. I'm super geeked for that. Uh, but also, uh, once this COVID is over, um, we can all kind of come together again and do what we love. So, again, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we we appreciate you. Like, thank you for this honor. Like, we are always surprised when people want to talk to us. And we're very odd at interviews because it's like we kind of forget how to talk because we're in the kitchen. You don't really speak that much. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we really appreciate your interest and that you want to hear our story. We can't wait to cook for you. Yeah, your bun me, we're working on it right now. Actually, we're I'm baking bread right now. Um, <laughs> oh. And, uh yeah, we look forward to when this is over and we can, like, cook and have a great meal together and wine and dine and all that together, for sure. Yo, yes, yes. Well, again, thank you guys for being a part of Cultural Ingredients, the COVID series, um, and I'll talk to you all soon. All right. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. 
Shaping Narratives, a collection of voices from West Michigan's communities of color, is brought to you in partnership with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, a partner with communities where children come first. Want to hear more Shaping Narratives episodes? Download and subscribe at WGVU.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe if you get a chance. It helps us to know you're listening. Shipping Nervous is produced by WGVU, PBS and NPR in West Michigan, through the facilities of the Meyer Public Broadcast Center, a service of Grand Valley State University. Matt Gruppen processed all the audio. Joe Belecki edits each episode. Vansor designed our graphics and manages our web presence. Delane is our director of content. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WGVU or Grand Valley State University. <laughs>